Turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. While you're turning there, Sarah Lynn had a surgical procedure on her thyroid uh, today, and it went well, and she's uncomfortable, but the medication is going to help her, Billy said. Also, Bert, we're remembering you when you start your procedure this Friday, and uh, a young man by the name of Woodford Sharon was born this uh, Isn't that a cool name? Woodford Sharon. I would have never thought of that. I like that. Nine pounds and how many ounces? <laughs> Thereabouts. I've entitled the message for this evening, Going On Unto Perfection. Now, the word perfection means maturity. As a matter of fact, if you um, look back at uh, verse 14, but strong meat in chapter 5, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, people who are mature. That's the adjective form of this same noun, perfection. Let us go on to maturity. Now, aren't you interested in maturing in grace? Growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage of Scripture, he speaks of those who are of full age, and he speaks of babes. Therefore, verse 1, leaving the principles the ABCs of the doctrine of Christ, the foundational truth of the doctrine of Christ. Now, does he mean by that, leave and not go back? Well, can you leave the alphabet and not go back to it? The alphabet is in every word you say, and it's the foundation of everything you say. So he's not saying, let's leave this and go on to bigger and better things and forget this. No, we're not to have to lay again that foundation. Now, what prompted this? Chapter 6, verse 1 says, therefore. Therefore. Well, he's referring to what he just said, beginning in verse 10, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he's called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I can't wait to get into Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ was not a priest after the order of the Levites. They were given simply to picture him, but a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And look what the writer to the Hebrews says in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard, difficult to be expressed, to be uttered, to be spoken seeing that you are dull of hearing. Dull. Slow. Not quick. Dull of hearing. Now that's a, I guess that could be a, a, an unusual way to speak to people. I think of a teacher looking out 
or looking over his or her students and say, you guys are dull. I'm sure that uh, they would get some uh, comments from the parents for doing that. But yet here, the writer to the Hebrews says to these people, you are dull of hearing. The reason I can't say these things that I would like to say with regard to Melchizedek is because of your dullness. And the word actually means sluggish, slothful, lazy. And this is a dictionary definition. This is one of the words. Lynn said I should never use this word from the pulpit, but I'm going to use it here because this is what it means. Hi, Lynn. Stupid. Stupid. That's the word. You become stupid. You become dull. You become sluggish in hearing. Now, I have not flown a great deal, but I've uh, been on planes enough, some of you much more than me, that when the attendant starts giving directions about how to buckle the seatbelt, I don't listen. I already know that. I'm familiar with that. I've got that down. And I don't really listen. Sometimes I don't even establish eye contact. That's very rude. Sometimes I think, well, I'd establish eye contact in any way, even though I'm not listening. But um, I don't really hear. I'm dull in hearing. It just does not mean that much to me. I've already got that down pat. I know how to buckle my seatbelt. I don't need to be told over and over again how to buckle my seatbelt. Another uh, thing that I thought of, and I made mention of this not that long ago, I remember when we uh, bought a house in 1986 on Bobbling Drive, and I did not know that within 50 yards of that house after I bought it, there was a railway and a train came by the very night that we bought it, and I didn't know that was there, and the house rumbled. And it went through my soul, and it was, I thought, I can't believe we bought this house. I'm going to have to deal with this because, I mean, it was so loud. Within a year, I didn't even hear it. When it would go by, I didn't even notice. I became dull of hearing. Now, our Lord did not, did not only say, take heed what you hear. He said, take heed how you hear. I don't want to be dull of hearing. I want to hear what God's word says. Now, he says to these people in verse 12, after he said, you're dull of hearing, he says, for when for the time... You ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers at this point. Yet you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You need to be taught the principles again, the a, B, C's again. Now, how much progress are you and I going to have reading if we have to be taught the alphabet over and over and over again? And if the alphabet doesn't become automatic to us? I mean, I can say the A, B, C's in my sleep right now. And you can too. But if you couldn't do that, what kind of progress would you make in reading? You wouldn't make any progress. 
What if a foundation had to be laid over and over and over again? And that's what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, maturity, not laying again the foundation. Now, what if in a building the foundation had to be laid over and over and over again? You lay it, tear it down, lay it again. The building would never go up with it. There would never be a superstructure. And this is what he's saying. He's saying we should not have to always be laying again the foundational truths. You become such as need nothing but milk and not a strong meat. Verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. I like the way the Bible's called the word of righteousness. The gospel message is called the word of righteousness. How God makes a sinner righteous. I love the way Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. I know exactly what that's talking about. A preacher of the righteousness of Christ. Now, he says, for everyone that if all you can use is milk, you're unskillful in the word of righteousness. You are a babe. You are an infant. Now, it's okay for Woodford to not eat meat, isn't it? You wouldn't expect it in any way. All he can take is milk, and you're happy for that. That's what he should be having. But if Woodford was six years old and all he had was milk, there'd be a problem. He ought to be eating meat by this time. It's okay for a four-year-old to act like a four-year-old, but it's not okay for a 30-year-old to act like a four-year-old. So he's talking about this thing of maturity. He talks about babes, infants, and he talks about men. Now, look in verse 14. He says, but strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age, those who are perfect, those who are mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Now, strong meat, dullness of hearing prevents us from eating strong meat. If I'm dull of hearing, I'm not going to be able to eat strong meat. We're going to get into what strong meat is toward the end of the message. But um, strong meat is for the mature. And look at how he addresses this. Strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age, people who have grown in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Even those who have, by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now here's what a mature in grace person can do. He can discern between good and evil. He knows the difference between law and grace. He knows the difference between faith and works. He knows the difference between flesh and spirit. He knows the difference. He can discern the difference between that which is of God and that which is of men. And I have seen as a pastor over the years, I've been pastoring for 40 years. Uh, that sounds good. You know, it sounds like an authority because I've been around 40 years. But that, no, I don't mean it that way, but I do know this. I have seen people lose their discernment become dull of hearing and they all of a sudden cannot discern what they are 
hearing. May we be swift to hear, as James said. If we're not, we'll lose our ability to. Dull of hearing. He says to people who were believers, you become dull of hearing. And note this language. He says, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Now, who is going to be, generally speaking, in the best health? Somebody who exercises or somebody who does not exercise? He said, you've had your senses exercised by reason of use to be able to discern the difference between good and evil. Now, a spiritual baby, a babe, he'll hear something like, um, if you forgive not, you'll not be forgiven. You'll hear the words of the Lord and say, well, that sounds like works. Well, that's because you're a spiritual baby. You haven't had your senses exercised to discern the difference between good and evil. No, the that's the you know really uh, if you forgive if you don't forgive you'll be not be forgiven. That's the meat of the word. That's the meat of the word. That only someone who is by the grace of God matured can get hold of. The milk of the word is the. ABCs, the fundamentals of the gospel. Now look what he says in verse, verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again. And then he names six things which could be called the ABCs of the gospel. The foundational truth of the gospel. And if I'm not grounded in these things, just like I am the ABCs, I will not go on under perfection. If this has to be laid again and again and again, there will be no maturity in grace. And look what he says. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation. And then he names six things. Of repentance from dead works and of faith Toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And I love the way he says in verse 3, we'll do this if God permit. We know we're totally dependent upon the grace of God for this to take place. And there's an acknowledgement of that. We'll do this if God permit. Permit. Now, let's consider um, these six ABCs, foundational principles, that there will be no growth unless I am grounded in this to the point where it's an automatic to me. I don't have to have it proven to me over and over again. It's automatic, just like you don't have to learn the ABCs over and over again. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. You know it. You know it. You don't even have to think about it. You're so versed in it and believe it with all your heart. Now, he says we can't be laying these things again. And the first thing he mentions is repentance from dead works. That's the first foundational principle. 
Now, what does repentance mean? It means a change of mind. A change of mind. A change of mind with regard to dead works. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place. We're not just talking about that material temple that was called the Holy of Holies. This is the very presence of God, the holy place. What did he do? Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. And may I say never to leave again. Having what? Obtained. That means he got it. That means he accomplished it. And this happened outside of any experience you have or I have. He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal. Don't miss that word eternal. Eternal. Something that never had a beginning and something that will never have an ending. He obtained eternal redemption for us. And that's all my salvation. Is that all your salvation? Well, um, I first had to... No. Well, I first had to... No. That's a dead work. Any work that takes away from what I just read, is a dead work. Somebody says, well, I was saved when I decided to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Then I learned the gospel. No, that's a dead work. That's all that is. It's a dead work. It's, have you ever had repentance, a complete change of mind with regard to dead works? Now, let's go on reading. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. And this is talking about that typical, the ashes of the red heifer. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We just uh, read back in the study, verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 10, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. Don't try to bring one. Purge your conscience from dead works. Anything that comes from me has the mark of death on it. What Christ accomplished Repent of anything that's contrary to him obtaining eternal redemption. That's complete, isn't it? 
Don't you reckon you and I ought to be grounded in that? And we ought not look anywhere but right him, what he accomplished. You know, it'd save us a lot of pain if the Lord give us grace to simply rest in him having obtained. Not making it available if I do my part. Him having obtained eternal redemption for us. Repentance. Now the next thing he mentions in chapter 6 verse 1. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Well, here we have repentance and faith. The ABCs of the gospel. Do you ever leave that? Repentance and faith. Repentance toward God, faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the way he says faith toward God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, Faith toward God is faith that Jesus Christ is God. So simple. You know, everybody believes he's man. You know, everybody that says, well, he's not a man. Everybody believes he's man. Not everybody believes he's God. I think of what the Lord said in John chapter 14. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Do you believe God's all-powerful? believe that with regard to me do you believe God is absolutely sovereign controlling everything in every event believe that regarding me do you believe God is immutable I'm the same yesterday today forever in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and faith in Christ is believing that he's God and relying on him as the God-man accomplishing salvation. I rely on Jesus Christ as God. You can't believe on Christ if you do not believe he is God, the creator of the universe. I love what Thomas said. My Lord. And what? My God. Faith toward God. And the next thing he mentions, and you would probably, um, I would do well to bring out these six things every time I preach. Somebody says, well, aren't you supposed to leave them? No. You're not, you should have to not be grounded in them over and over again. This ought to be automatic. The next thing he mentions is the doctrine. Now, the, the word doctrine is teaching. The teaching of baptisms in the plural. Now, in the New Testament, we read of three different baptisms. Water baptism. What is water baptism? Well, it's uh, going all the way under and coming back up. And what it signifies is union with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he lived, I lived. When he died, I died. My sin was paid for. When he was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. The doctrine is union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we also read of um, the Lord speaking about being baptized. I have a baptism to be baptized with. Talking about being baptized 
under the wrath of God. Now, what does that teach? Union. His union with us. He took my sin. He, he, uh, not only am I united to him, he became united to what I am. And he was baptized under the wrath of God for me. And then there's the spirit baptism we read of. Baptized with the Holy Ghost. That's being united to him in my experience to where I find out that all I want, when I'm born again, you know what my greatest desire is when I've been born of the spirit, when I've been given this holy nature, I just want to be found in Christ. That is what I want more than anything else. That's a conscious desire at all times. Oh, that I may win Christ and be found in him at all times when God looks at me. I simply want him to see me in his son. So the doctrine of baptisms is the doctrine of union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we're given, I think, the best illustration of this in verse 9 of chapter 7 of Hebrews. And as I may so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now notice what it says. It doesn't say it was as, as, it was as if he paid tithes. It doesn't say the paying of tithes was imputed to him. It says when Levi paid those tithes, I mean, when Abraham paid those tithes, even though Levi was not yet born, Levi paid those tithes. Union with the Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of baptisms. And then the fourth thing he mentions in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, is the doctrine of the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. Now, we've all read in the New Testament where <clears throat> the apostles could lay their hands on people and the Holy Ghost would be given. Now, that's not talking about being born again. That's how the gifts of the Holy Spirit were transferred. When they saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. And when that happened, they had these supernatural powers in the early church. They could... Uh, they could heal the sick. They could raise the dead. Some of them did it. Uh, they would speak in other languages. They could drink poison. Uh, all these different things. And then we also read in uh, the New Testament of uh, lay hands suddenly on no man. And laying on hands speaks of affirmation and approval. If somebody comes into this church and says, I believe uh, what you're all preaching. Are we going to have them up here in the pulpit two weeks later? No way. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Now, is that a foundation of the gospel? No. It's in the Bible. It's valuable uh, to understand these things. But the laying on of hands spoken of in the New Testament is not what he is talking about. Would you turn with me to Leviticus 16? This is the doctrine of the laying on of hands, and this is what... I must be grounded in. Verse 21. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat. Picture that in your mind. The scapegoat. Still alive. Aaron takes both of his hands. It's tied up. 
and he places it on the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them, the transgressions, the iniquities, the sins, upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness. Now, here we have what he's talking about. Now, did sin actually go into that goat? No. This is given to teach us what happened on the cross. The sins of God's people, Christ actually bore in his own body on the tree. This is talking about the transference of sin. Now listen to me. Sin cannot be two places at once. If Christ bore it, I don't bear it. My sin was transferred by God to him and his righteousness is transferred to me so that I am the righteousness of God. Now that's the ABCs of the gospel. And you know what? You never get tired of hearing that, do you? Somebody says, well, I already got that down bad. No, it, it's, it's amazing. It's glorious. This is how God can be just and justify the ungodly through this amazing transfer that took place, which is symbolized by the great high priest laying his hands on the head of that sacrifice. Be grounded in that. My sin's gone. Christ bore it, put it away. It's gone. His righteousness is given to me. It's mine. And the fifth thing he mentions, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead. Now here's the fifth thing I must be grounded in. The resurrection of the dead. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, one of our favorite scriptures, thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now how that takes place is seen in the resurrection. Now in the Bible, we read of three resurrections. There's the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's spiritual resurrection in the new birth. The hour's coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. And I'm given a new nature. Born again. That's called the spiritual resurrection. And then the third resurrection is the final resurrection. When the dead in Christ shall be raised. Now, in those three resurrections, first in the physical resurrection of Christ, I see salvation from the penalty of sin. He bore the penalty. And I'll never have to. In the spiritual resurrection, I see salvation from the power of sin. Before I was born from above, I couldn't believe. I couldn't repent. I had no love for God. I had no understanding. Oh, I could read things, but there wouldn't be true spiritual understanding. But when God gave me life, I was given grace to do what I was powerless to do before. 
I can come to Christ. I can believe on him. I can love him. I've been given, I've been saved from the power of sin. There was a time when I could never do those things. I can now. And in that final resurrection, when we're going to be raised incorruptible, when we're going to be raised sinless, don't you look forward to that day when you're going to be raised sinless? I'll be saved from the very presence of sin. Oh, the resurrection. Should I ever lose sight of that? The resurrection. You know, that was the principal teaching of the apostles in the early church, preaching the resurrection. And then the last thing he mentions, and I love the way he says this, and of eternal judgment. Don't miss the word eternal. Everything God does is eternal. Everything God does Never had a beginning and will never have an end. Eternal judgment. Now, my judgment took place eternally in the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And before I ever committed a sin, the payment had already been made. And I am eternally justified. You know, people say, well, you know, aren't you justified when you believe? Yeah. I wouldn't uh, take issue with somebody that, with that. But I know this. I was also justified when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Scripture says that. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Now, I didn't believe at that point because I wasn't even born. But my justification was accomplished. And you know what? If he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, he's the lamb raised from the foundation of the world. And that is eternal. And we have eternal life because of this eternal judgment. Everything God does is eternal. And if what I believe is not grounded in eternity, I believe wrong. Ephesians 1.4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Now, what I've been talking about is the milk of the word. Somebody says, that's the meat, isn't it? No, it's the milk. It's the milk. It's the ABCs. It's the foundational truths of the gospel. And if I'm not grounded in these six things, it will be impossible for me to go on to maturity. Well, what's the milk of the word? Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. What's the meat of the word? Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as unto the Lord. Willingly, because that's what you want to do. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the meat of the word. You know, the meat of the word is here in James chapter 2. <laughs> you see then how that a man is justified by works and not faith only, and you understand what it means. 
Instead of getting all confused, is that saying salvation is by faith and works? You know what it means when you eat the meat of the word. The meat of the word is love. The bond of perfectness. The more excellent way. The meat of the word is to forgive somebody even when they don't ask for your forgiveness. That's the meat of the word. The meat of the word is being merciful. The meat of the word is being kind. The meat of the word is being patient. The meat of the word is being a servant. The meat of the word is taking the lowest seat. The meat of the word is humbling yourself under his mighty hand. The meat of the word is giving up your rights. The meat of the word is not trying to justify yourself before men. The meat of the word is keeping your mouth shut. The meat of the word is not being judgmental. The meat of the word is being generous. The meat of the word is in honor, preferring one another in love, looking not on your own things, but also on the things of others. The meat of the word is to not need to be recognized, to be content to be nothing. That's the meat of the word. I love what James said in James chapter 3, verse 2, for in many things we offend all. Amen. In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, a mature man, a grown-up man. It is only the mature man that will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, what is perfect? Let's go on unto perfection. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to close by reading two passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5. Here is the meat of the Word. Verse 43. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publican so? Be ye therefore, what? Perfect. There's the word. Same word. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now that, my dear friends, is the meat 
of the word. If I'm not grounded in the six foundational principles, I'll end up making a work out of it somehow. But oh, when I'm grounded in the gospel. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. This is the last scripture we'll look at. Verse 27. And don't miss the significance of this. I say unto you which hear. Get that? The writer to the Hebrews said you've become dull of hearing. He said, I say unto you which hear. Boy, I want to be one of those, don't you? Swift to hear, slow to speak. I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And if him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. As you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. There's the meat of the word. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? Where's grace there? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? And the word is actually generally the same word translated grace. Where's their grace in that? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much as again. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward should be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Isn't that beautiful? That's the meat of the word. We love milk. And we can't do without milk. And this is not saying we can just leave milk and go on to meat in the sense that the milk is in every word we say. The alphabet is in every word we say. Uh, but may the Lord give us grace to be grounded so we can grow up going on to perfection. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in thy son's name that we might be grounded in repentance from our dead works and in faith toward your son as God and our union with him and understanding that our sin became his sin and his righteousness becomes ours 
understanding the accomplishments of the resurrection and the eternal nature of your judgment. Lord, let us be grounded so that we might go on unto perfection, that we might be mature men and women in Christ Jesus eating the meat of the word. Now bless this message for the Lord's sake. In his name we pray.